Hi, I'm Dave Peck, Vice President of Exploration and Business Development for Grid Metals Corp. Grid Metals is a junior explorer and developer in Canada with projects in Ontario, Manitoba, really focused on the battery metal space, which is well-timed for current environment, and also uh, with projects at different stages of development. So I'll be able to give you a good overview today and uh, look forward to sharing some new information on our projects in Canada. Dave, thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, you say new inf information. Um, I, <laughs> it's all new to me. You know, it's the first time I've really looked <laughs> at the company. Um, thank you very much. You sent over uh, an, an incredibly comprehensive kind of data pack with, with a, a kind of re review of your projects, which is really great to see. But I think um, before we kind of get stuck into the kind of the full detail, you've got four main projects, three of them are lithium, uh, three of them are nickel, and one of them is lithium. Yes. Could you talk a little bit about how the, 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 the portfolio came together and what stage those four projects are at, please? So uh, just a bit of background for me. I joined the company a couple of years ago, having left uh, North American Palladium as one of the three in senior management that uh, mm. led to the sale of that company to Impala Platinum at the end of 2019 for a billion dollars. So um, I'm sort of coming into it, uh, inheriting some projects that have been with the company for many, many years. Um, yep. So, so, and then there's been uh, some additions since I joined, uh, some that I did and some that uh, my colleague, uh, our CEO and President Robin Dunbar, he and I worked together on. So it's a, kind of a mixed bag in terms of the legacy, uh, but we can start with a couple of the core projects, which are our flagship property in Manitoba and southeastern Manitoba, not far from where I live, uh, Maqua Mayville. That's about an hour and a half drive from Winnipeg. Um, and that's uh, nickel dominant. In the same belt, uh, we have a lithium project that uh, the company acquired uh, from uh, Tanko Mine, which is actually Canada's only producing lithium mine at the moment, uh, it, which is in the same belt in southeastern Manitoba, the Bird River Greenstone Belt. Mm -hmm. um, that was acquired uh, through a transaction with Tanko in around 2016. And really hadn't had a lot of work done on it until just recently. In fact, we put out a news release this morning with some exciting new exploration results from that lithium property. Um, and then the uh, pr projects in Ontario, East Bow Lake, which we spent a lot of time on uh, since I joined in, in 2020, early 2020. A lot of drilling, a lot of news, um, really focused on palladium. That one has been in the company for almost 22 years now. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, so we've we've been able to hold on to projects through multiple cycles, and yeah. although that that can be a little bit uh, confusing or perhaps even frustrating for investors that are coming in on a specific kind of uh, um, metal cycle or commodity, um, that gives us a really uh, excellent flexibility in terms of moving these things forward at the right time in the cycle. I'm all about portfolios and managing portfolios, maintaining excellence, uh, both in the geology and technical merit, but also the timing of those projects to market conditions. And we're, we're able to apply this flexibility in our portfolio for, as you mentioned, top projects. Um, sorry, the other one I forgot to mention is our Timmins area nickel project called Bannockburn. Yeah, that's also been with the company for over 22 years, uh, having uh, been purchased from Otokompo, 
uh, uh, around 2000. And uh, again, it had a, a sort of stop and start uh, based on nickel prices, uh, which all of us in the nickel business suffered through. Uh, but we're in a really uh, fantastic uh, time for nickel and the outlook uh, being really strong based on the, the new demand actually for, for battery metal nickel. So that's really changed the nickel market, which is always about stainless steel, as you know. Yeah. yeah so, so we're able to hold these projects. They're, they're all large properties. They're, mm. There's lots of potential on the exploration side. Some have known resources uh, like our Macro Mavo project in Manitoba. It's at the PEA stage um, with about 40 million tons combined uh, around uh, you know, just under 1% nickel equivalent on the one project and about 1% uh, copper equivalent on the Copper Ridge project, which is Mayville. So these things uh, we can hold on to are very low holding costs. All the projects are selected in areas that are either established mining camps or have excellent infrastructure. They tick all the ESG boxes. And again, I managed uh, huge portfolios of projects with uh, Anglo-American in my days with them, uh, 2002 to 2010, when I got to Globetrot and uh, do all the things that uh, mm. a commodity leader does, uh, evaluate projects and, um, you know, those, those portfolios, the concept of project turnover is vital and you have to have the funds to do it. Um, so, you know, with the small cap company that I'm with now, uh, that's always the key part of the strategy is bringing those funds in at the right time. But we're really gearing up. We've got uh, a decent amount of cash in the till, and uh, we're able to move our flagship project forward. Now there were a couple of years where we had to take our time, uh, get a, a negotiation done with the local First Nation, and that's now in place. So that was uh, one of the last sort of impediments to moving that project forward. So um, for great. Yeah, go ahead. So, so, sorry, could I just kind of jump in there? So you had eight or so years with Anglo American. Were you yeah. in the were you in the nickel PGM space, or were you across all commodities? I was a global commodity leader for nickel for the exploration division uh, based out of Vancouver, uh, but basically spent most of my time on airplanes, as uh, you probably are doing as well, Merlin. So we uh, we saw all the great deposits in the world. Uh, I was looking at sulfide and laterite nickel. And we made some uh, ter terrific discoveries on the nickel sulfide side and brought a couple of uh, laterite projects to, towards production in that time frame. But I also worked closely with uh, my colleagues in Anglo Platinum and uh, yep. spent a fair amount of time in South Africa working on the Platte Reef in the Bushveld complex with them. And Did you also get up to on global projects, yeah. Did you get up to Finland? Did you get to look at um, Sakari? Is that, is that the one? Well, there? that was my first pick as a target for the country manager at the time. Um, and uh, they ended up uh, finally uh, getting onto that, uh, getting some geophysics and drilling. And of course it became a terrific discovery. So I was definitely involved in that project, yes. Um, okay, so, so that, that was part of your target generation, your kind of project generation. Yes. And it, it's interesting is it because you, um, it's funny how some of the big companies are, are siloed. You put the kind of the Anglo Platinum, yeah which of course has got its own nickel and cobalt and, um, you know, it's a multi-element producer. And then you've got the Anglo-American side of things, which is perhaps looking at it, the nickel PGM suite. Um, North American palladium, again, it's not just pure palladium, is it? You know, there's a kind of a, there's, there's a, there's a suite of metals that comes together geologically. Especially now with the Impala Platinum, I mean, 
<laughs> North American Palladium. So yeah, they really are focused on uh, on you know Palladium dominantly at the Lactazil mine, but uh, they do produce nickel, cobalt, uh, nickel, copper, uh, platinum, and gold as well. And I mean, it's a hell of a jump from Anglo-American to to grid metals. Um, you know, it's a completely different culture and a completely different approach. You know, your your market capitalization is twenty million Canadian. Um, what's your cash position? Sorry, I didn't see that. We've got about uh, after this current phase of drilling at uh, Macqua Mayville, we'll be at about five million. Um, so we started the year um, strongly with a, a six million dollar deal. With lithium royalty on the uh, lithium assets, um, the Honor Lake project in Manitoba, and our Campus Creek project in Northwestern Ontario. So those uh, that deal was announced in January, um, closed shortly after, and brought in six and a half million Canadian. So that really uh, benchmarked uh, our ability to plan for more than you know three months at a time here. Yeah. Fantastic transformational um, deal. Yeah. It's funny that you got the the lithium asset in 2016 because those were snowballs. You know, it would almost be impossible to to prize out a uh, a near mine lithium asset in 2021 20, uh, 2022 um, from a producing lithium company. I mean, it's it's yeah. uh, you know that's obviously you know uh, hit the sweet spot in terms of the timing. It's really really come good for you. Let's let's focus on the flagship. Okay. Um, it's fantastic that you've got all this kind of other potential and you've got the, um, the leverage, but let's just, it, it, could you talk me through uh, Macro Mayville? And, um, you know, I saw that you've got these two different resources, but um, it, might, it might be useful to pull up the slide um, sure. that, that shows the two different ore bodies. And All right. So I can walk you through the just the setting here. There's actually three properties now. We've included the lithium in on this map which is uh, interestingly uh, situated directly south of our Mayville, our M2 copper deposit, uh, copper nickel PGM. Yeah. That's, that's an open pit resource that was drilled out in the sort of mid to late 2000s, uh, became the subject of a PEA study in 2014. And it really uh, hasn't had a lot of work done since then because of the metal cycle and the downturn uh, at that time in both nickel and copper prices. So that one's been waiting to move forward. Um, and then we've got the MACWA project in the south. It's actually a past producing nickel sulfide mine. There was both an underground mine and an open pit mine uh, operated by Falconbridge or a subsidiary of Falconbridge uh, in the early 70s. And again, uh, you know, a couple million tons taken out of the ground, uh, over 1% nickel. Uh, great. It was a bit of a swing producer, but of course, nickel prices at that time were around a couple of dollars a pound. So uh, not like we are looking at today. So and that's so, the, so, yeah. so. Was that was that an underground development in the seventies? Yeah, there were two mines. The, the Dumbarton mine was one uh, one style of mineralization on that property, um, and it, it was an underground decline. And then uh, the, the Macwa open pit, um, which is really where most of our resources sit in, uh, in that project now. A very shallow open pit. They only went down a few benches. Uh, they only took out a few, few hundred thousand tons. So they've, they've effectively done the pre-stripping for you. Yeah, that, that's one way to look at it. And we do. <laughs> so we, we've got a really unique situation. I mean, I, I guess I can understand 
uh, some hesitancy with some investors saying, well, you've got too much or, you know, you've got lithium in one hand and nickel and it's a bit confusing. But if you look at the geography, this explains exactly what our strategy is. We have uh, the dominant land position for nickel in what's called this Bird River Greenstone Belt in southeast Manitoba. And again, the infrastructure is excellent. These are all weather roads here. Uh, terrific uh, site infrastructure being a past producing mine at Maqua. There's the Tanko mine, which is owned by Sino Mine. There's a shipment of spodumene concentrate uh, taken. A, that picture was taken by our VP of lithium exploration, Kerry Gallister, a couple of months ago. Um, so this is the only spodumene producer in Canada at the moment. This mine's been in operation for over 50 years. Is that a, is that a, um, 50 years. Is that a pegmatite? Yeah, so it's a world-class pegmatite in terms of the size and grade. It's called the Burnick Lake Pegmatite. And it uh, has supported tantalum, cesium, and now lithium mining for, I guess, since the 19, late 1960s. Um, it used to be owned by Cabot Corporation, a U.S. Uh, firm. It was sold to Sinomine recently. Uh, it's a Chinese uh, company um, that is uh, basically sh shipping the spodumene back to China all the way to the West Coast uh, by truck or wrap, and then off to China. So... You know, we've got an opportunity to maybe build a center for spodumene mining here. But you can imagine the synergies between having a sort of a, a nickel-copper PGM battery metals-focused project and a lithium project moving in lockstep towards development uh, on a shortened time frame. Uh, with the potential, we actually have an offtake agreement with Sinomine. So they would uh, buy uh, whatever product we wanted to sell them at commercial terms at fair market value. So that's quite an advantage. It means we may not have to build a concentrator uh, for, for making spot, spodumene concentrate at Donner Lake, the lithium um, property. What stage is your understanding of the Donner Lake pegmatite or resource there? Very, very advanced. In fact, if, if you look at the press release out from this morning, maybe I can just flip to that map and then maybe we go back off, yeah. off the map here. Yeah, yeah. Just just take two seconds. Um, there's the known dikes on the property. This is a zoom in on the uh, east side of the of Donner Lake property. These are the known dikes, sort of what we inherited when we got the property. We knew about all of these dikes. They hadn't been drilled since the 50s. In fact, there was a company called Violomac, uh, who was a famous Canadian uh, entrepreneur in the mining industry, Viola McMillan, uh, that drilled out a 4 million ton imperial ton resource at 1.28% lithium on two of the dikes, this one here, the Northwest, and the main dike. But now we've gone back and subsequently done a, an initial round of validation drilling on the main dike in 2018. It was highly, highly successful, and it proved that this vertical dike has got very consistent and good uh, lithium oxide grade averaging around 1.6% um, over you know, a few meters. And then the Northwest Dyke, we just finished our first round of exploration drilling on that. We've extended the strike length quite a bit, doubled it in fact, and it's now open to depth as well, below 200 meters. Another vertical dike, it's a bit wider than the main dike. So just on those two dikes alone, we see the potential and, and this is, you know, based on fairly recent information 
to get up to, you know, eight, six, eight million tons, uh, metric tons of one and a half percent approximately lithium oxide, which would put us in the same space as some of the high market cap lithium companies on the ASX, you know, core lithium, yeah. for example, it's a similar scale uh, to that. So we're not far away from having that initial uh, compliant resource, 43101 resource, so probably by the end of the year. Uh, we, we'd be able to have all that drilling done to uh, move that into resource. The other thing to note is this is a high, happy hunting grounds for lithium and, uh, you know, they so-called LCT or lithium cesium tantalum rich highly evolved pegmatites. By example, the Burnick Lake uh, pegmatite that, that uh, supports the Tanko mine to the south of us, same geology, um, same environment. We've got about eight kilometers of unexplored contact uh, between this big granite in the south and this green sunbelt in the north. This is where we started. We're going to move west and explore. We expect to find more dikes. These usually occur in swarms or fields uh, with closely spaced dikes. So I think the tonnage potential here is really fantastic. And we have that advantage. Could you just go back to the other... Um the the kind of the, the regional map. There we go. Yeah, and show show me where where that the on that map. Can you point with your mouse to where the so where that previous map was? Right. So it's in yeah. there. Yeah. And so the the eight kilometer contact that you're talking about is that this one here. Is it? And it's there's a scale bar here down. Okay, so and the the, the dikes are within the greenstone belt, but yeah, related, right on the contact. Yeah, so they're related to the to the granite, the, the plutonic rocks, but they're we inside. We think so. The- yes, yes, we think it is related to this big batholith, but you know that hasn't been proven. But it, it seems to be the case. It's it's quite serendipitous if uh, if all the dikes uh, you know are developed right at that contact. So, and sorry, just because normally when one when I think of a green greenstone belt, I think of granite greenstone. I think of yeah. intrusions within the greenstone belt. So perhaps the undifferentiated plutonic rocks on the outside are not genetically related to the to the dikes. I mean, but you're saying that is sorry. I, I I wasn't thinking things through. But are you comfortable that you've got the exploration handle so when you're exploring for these lithium pegmatites what do you uh what are your tools what's what's in your toolbox is it can you do they stick out of the ground do you stub your toe on them or you know what do you use yeah i mean this is a a typical canadian shield kind of topography so there's some rolling hills there's a reasonable outcrop um so you can find them mapping they do tend to form prominent ridges or topographic highs um, so that part of it is the easy part, just boots on the ground, you know, you keep yep. your eyes open, systematic mapping. We also can use you know, high, high um, quality um, air, fo- air photography uh, to enhance, uh, you know, the, the ability to see these small outcrops in the bush. Um, that's another yep. tool. Lithogeochemistry is a big uh, a tool for us, and it's something our VP, uh, Carrie Galischuk, has uh, worked on and written papers about for many years. He's actually an expert in this particular belt, as well as a global lithium exploration expert. 
Uh, so he's got lots of discoveries under his belt. He knows how to do it. He worked at the Tanko mine for many years. And so he really he, knows the belt. Does he do relationships? I mean, is it, is it kind of um, minor element relationships? Is it? It's actually lithium itself is the most okay. uh, mobile of these rare metals that occur in these dikes. And it travels the furthest away from the dike. So we can see a lithium anomaly building up for 100, 200 meters away from major dikes. And so even if they're not exposed, you can pick up the signature of them in the country rock, which in this case is, are the greenstones. They're mainly uh, basalts, metavolcanics, amphibolites. And, uh, you know, the anomalies uh, really jump out. Like there is already data over this main dike area that Kerry actually worked on uh, when he was with Tanko and they had the property. And there's some fantastic lithium anomalies that haven't even been tested yet. And that's just in that core area on the east end where we, we know where the sort of some of the dikes are. And do you have um, a preferential orientation of the dikes so that you yes. can plan your, your soil lines perpendicular to that or orthogonal as best as you can? Correct. Yeah. So the, the general strike, as you can see in that map, was about, you know, let's call it northeast striking, yeah. northeast striking and, uh, you know, pretty much vertical uh, dip. And you know, there's another set of dikes that appear to be developing on a more an east-west strike. So that's the structural pattern that was in place in this greenstone belt when these dikes were injected into these structures. So there's two main trends. So we will be planning both our uh, ground geochemicals sampling, but also the high-density mag. We plan to do a drone mag survey this spring. Carrie's had some really good luck with that in mapping out the structures. If the dikes are big enough, they could even show up as mag lows, very intense mag lows yeah. uh, with that drone mag. So we'll, we'll be uh, trying that out, a bit of an orientation study over this sort of main dike area, and then expanding from there if we see the value in it. And I think we will. Well, there we go. So that's us trying to talk about the, the 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 nickel and the copper and ending up talking <laughs> about the lithium um <laughs> no what, a, what an interesting story and um i was i was going to ask about mag because mag is famous for being able to pick up structures and it's really interesting you say that when the dike is big enough and intense enough um it would appear as a mag low so with the lithogeochem do you have till cover i mean how much till cover have you got there or is it it's is variable it you know we've got swamps and bogs a typical canadian shield um but there's also lots of high ground and, and decent exposure i guess the sort of the overburden thickness is from nil to maybe you know a few meters yeah. rarely more than a few meters and your field seasons do you can you winter we can work in the winter or was it a summer the um, drilling is actually best done in winter but we can drill all, all year round and we had a horrible winter this year so there's a lot more snow than normal and it's all got to melt and it'll go into the low areas and make it harder to get around but uh, we've got sort of all-terrain vehicles and we're looking at getting some argos and things to get in through the swampy areas and get our people around uh, pretty much any time of year but summer is definitely the preferred time for mapping and, and doing the soil sampling so it does get quite cold here. <laughs> do, you, do you have any mosquitoes in the summer? Oh, just a few, yeah. And ticks. That's the other, <laughs> the other one. There's lots of ticks. And ticks. Do you, um, does it come with tick bite fever? What's the what's the um, yeah Lyme, Lyme disease? disease. Yeah. Lyme disease. Yeah, yeah, that's prevalent. Uh, it's something you have to watch out for. There are various 
preventative measures there. Uh, basically, the end of the day tick inspection is probably the best bet. It's what the um, it's what the compass clinometers are good for. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, checking checking the groin area. Did, so did you want to uh, talk about the nickel a bit more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, okay. let's let's get back to the nickel. So, I mean, these are sort of macro and Mayville. They're both conventional magmatic sulfide deposits. Uh, Mayville's copper-rich, so it's more fractionated. It's hosted in peroxinitic rocks and gabbros. It, it's in a big uh, layered intrusion called the Mayville intrusion, right at the basal contact, where, where we normally see these things, you know. I, I would say yeah. that the structural understanding of the ore body is still evolving, and, mm-hmm. you know, one of my goals in the next few months is to really tear the deposit apart with all the drills we have, you know, you know, build really good 3D models, geochemical profiles and, and work out if there's a, a, a real structural control to the mineralization. It, it's not massive generally. It's more kind of net textured uh, to blebby disseminated. Uh, so it's not super high sulfide content. MACWA is the nickel-rich deposit. It's also in the same intrusive complex called the Bird River Sill, and it's in the ultramafic component right at the base in contact with generally with greenstones, uh, metavolcanic rocks. And you, uh, um, it, it does seem to be structurally controlled, and it's more massive, but again, it's not you know, pure massive sulfide. It's not like a Voises Bay, for instance, or some of the Sudbury ore bodies. It tends to be more stringer sulfide or even blebby, uh, weakly net textured. So, you know, kind of averaging 10% sulfide minerals, mostly pentonite, pyrotite, cacopyrite. Can you trace a kind of a stratigraphy across the sill? Uh, I, I, was it a folded structure? I, I couldn't quite tell from that map. Well, that's a um, very good point, actually. Um, there may be very tight isoclinal folding, which offers some potential for structural repetition of this uh, basal contact deposit at MACWA anyway. And that theory is yet to be fully tested. We, we basically need to do lithogeochemical sampling uh, using the existing uh, pulps from uh, historical drill holes, get profiles across and see if we see a reversal in the, what we call the younging direction or facing direction, which way was up yeah. in yeah. the intrusion. And uh, we're planning to do that this spring That'll really help us uh, understand the potential for structural repeats because all the con- all the drilling's really been focused on that basal contact, and it's possible it may be fold repeated to the to the south. Um, in fact, there's some geophysical trends that are quite intriguing that we're looking at now for our next round of exploration. That may when, be that. Yeah. When when was it last drilled? We just finished our first exploration drill program there for at least a decade, uh, more than a decade. And uh, we drilled uh, 18 holes. We just finished actually last week. So it's a winter drill program. And the real focus on that program was testing uh, geophysical targets, conductors uh, of good size. You know, they're all three, four, 500 meters of strike length and good vertical extent that sit around the known resources. So, We got 7 million tons that were outlined in 2014 in an open pit shell, optimized pit shell. Uh, It graded about 0.64% nickel and almost, uh, you know, just under percent nickel equivalent. Good palladium credits with that nickel. That's one of the strong points for for MACWA. 
is if you basically have a one-to-one correlation. If you get a percent nickel, you get over a gram of palladium. So the higher the nickel, the higher the palladium. So that adds a lot of value. Um, but these targets all sit around the edges below that pitch shell adjacent to it. So we're looking to see if there's significant blue sky at MACWA. So that's the stage we're at. Um, but we're also moving both the MACWA and Mayville through another set of internal iterations. You know, things have changed since 2014. Uh, that's a long time ago. Um, you know, metal prices are up uh, for most of the bay metals there. We've got and a better FX uh, and improved metallurgy. Remember that in 2013-14, I mean, they were they were the mood in the sector was so depressed, and yeah. it, it was just everything was going. Kind of, you could just hear the the bathwater draining out. It was like <laughs> it, was, it was just dreadful, dreadful time. Yeah. The the the, the um, Everything would have had to have been planned to be the most just kind of save money. You couldn't raise capital for love and money. Exploration companies were doing everything to take shortcuts. It's I'm, I'm not advocating waste in any yeah. uh, under any circumstance, but it's a it's a very different environment now. We've got to plan for the future. You've got to plan ahead. You've got to look for long life assets. You've got to kind of see where you can um, get started on a nickel project, but actually give it some run room. We have uh, technically, you know, very good projects for a junior company of our size that we have this many large and prospective projects. So that's my fundamental belief is having technically excellent projects with lots of blue sky and actually the team to be successful in making discoveries, which I've been involved in many successful teams and uh, Carrie has as well. And we think technically we stand up against any of our peers. And so that's a big edge. We got to get that message out to and show it, you know, prove it, proofs in the pudding. You know, the drill is one thing, but having the results to say, well, you've made a new discovery at Mac or at Mavo or uh, in some of our other projects. That's where I get all my uh, my fun from in this business. It's it's not necessarily the marketing side. Um, to, <laughs> uh, to. <laughs> That thus speaks a uh, <laughs> a, a technical a technical technically driven guy, but that's fine because the marketing the more success you have, the easier the marketing gets. Yeah, that's right. Um, Tell me, um, I, I, I I don't want to have force you to put out a news release after we do this this um, this um, mm-hmm. inter- interview. So please don't share anything which is not in the public domain. For sure. I got two questions. One is you were just about to describe your the internal work that you're doing, kind of rescoping. Um, Mayville Macqua. And the second is, can you give me an update on how your 18-hole drill program intersected or didn't intersect the extensions of your system? Yeah. So the first question, let's go through the project plan. And we've got a project manager now. His name's Ian Ward. He used to run Micon Engineering. A very experienced guy. He's run through many feasibility studies. And as I said, managed Micon. It's an internationally renowned uh, um, engineering firm in the mining sector. So happy to have Ian rejoin us, actually. He's with the company on a part-time basis before. Um, so he's running the project. We are going to start baseline environmental work this summer at both Mayville and Maqua. Uh, that's the first step towards getting you know, environmental um, uh, permits and, and approvals from the Manitoba government. 
Uh, we're also looking at making the project higher grade and smaller than what was envisaged in 2014. So some of those internal calculations are really on what's the optimum size of pit for both projects? And is there an underground opportunity as well down the road, you know? So that internal work's ongoing. And if successful, we think it will be that the project will look a lot better uh, just with what we already know uh, than it did in 2014. Uh, probably uh, catch some eyes, I think. Um, then we would restart the PEA and basically redo it uh, using current uh, long-term prices and FX assumptions and with improved metallurgy that's the one thing that we're able to do since 2014 is more work on cobalt recoveries, nickel recoveries, and showing a much better set of numbers than what was used in the 2014. So I think that's a three-year plan. Sorry, there are two comments on that. One is you say if, if you can um, right-size the pit and the, the potential underground, you said it might improve the economics and it might catch people's eye. Mm -hmm. um, and then you'd go on to a PEA, but you won't be able to publish anything unless you do a PEA. So, you know, how, how will you communicate your re, your rescoping of it without doing a PEA? Well, we can't. So, so maybe I, I misunderstood or misled, misled you there a little bit. That's internally. We will know that it's going to be a, a positive PEA. Okay. So, so that's the trigger point for us internally. Okay. And okay, so we're so, working so, so, with Mike on right now. Yeah. Okay, so 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 it's it's the, the the board of directors. Their eyes will light up, and then they will. Yeah. There'll be a board level decision to say, right, we go ahead for the PEA because this is That's looking correct. looking good. Yeah. Okay, good. And also, um, in the last, um, when I speak to my metallurgist friends, I, I as a geologist, I have a few of those. Um, Me too. <laughs> they, I've been told that the kind of the the reagents and the, and the metallurgical recoveries have improved enormously just in the last 10 years. And that, um, when you, when you go back and if you look to the, the metallurgy of this, is that, you know, how much of a rethink is it doing or is it just kind of um, incremental gain on various kind of reagents that you're looking at? You know, at the feasibility stage, we hope to get to fairly quickly. Um, but first step, let's do the PEA this year, get that out before hopefully the end of the year. We think we can do it. Um, that kind of revisiting of the, the, the you know, the flow sheet, the, uh, the recoveries, the uh, bench tests, maybe even some bulk sample tests, that would come in at the PFS stage. Yeah. So we're pretty happy with the general quality of the work that's been done in the past. So I should say macro was actually at the sort of feasibility stage in 2007. Oh, okay. So it, it got it dropped down to PEA <laughs> stage because it got combined with MAVO. And it made sense to look at a uh, central concentrator at the bigger yeah. project, MAVO, uh, and the higher grade uh, macro feed would go by truck to MAVO concentrator and produce two separate cons, a copper con and a nickel con. And uh, that work, the metallurgy for that was was strong, but I said there were specific tests done to answer some questions on Mayville, specifically on nickel and, and also cobalt. So that's been done. Um, there's definitely scope for more. We will be drilling holes for future MET testing on both projects over the coming months. So that is in the plans. Okay. 
I know I know it hasn't been approved at the board level yet, but in terms of if you if you in, internal discussions, you're looking at kind of a PEA sometime next year. I think we would potentially start the PEA uh, in a couple of months. We're that close. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And maybe so the the goal is to finish it before the end of the year. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm aspirational. Gonna, <laughs> aspirational. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm hold your feet to the fire about this. But um, we have yeah. mentioned it to to our investors in various press releases over the last year that this is part of the strategy. It was just really on the exact timing of it okay. that we were still kind of mulling it over what, what was best for the company. So. I think we're basically there now. Okay, great. Now um, let's let's go to the eighteen holes that you've drilled. Did, did did it prove up your thesis? Is there room for expansion? Are you going to kind of expand your pit shells, um, your resource calculations? You know, it, uh, is there going to be a another round of drilling, which is going to be a mix of infill and expansion? Yeah. So I mean, like you said, we can't get into too much detail because only one hole has been reported. So. That's a you know the current lag as you know in the analytical labs around the world is just getting worse and worse. So we have some expectation we'll have most of the results in our hands within a couple of months, but it may even go longer than that. So all the core is uh, well basically it's finished uh, logging sampling's been done. We we kind of know visually what we've seen. We do use the Niton portable XRF. Uh, to uh, actually, uh, you know, get a handle on the nickel, especially in copper grades uh, through the mineralized intervals. You know, we've had generally good uh, visuals on, on the holes we drilled. We tested four different geophysical targets, and I think we're pretty happy with what we've seen so far. But proof's in the pudding, so I don't want to get into speculation too much. We did announce one hole. We hit a little bit of massive sulfide with up to one and a half percent nickel and a couple of call it seams, and that was in uh, what's that under underneath the old uh, Dumbarton mine, the underground workings. That was never drilled off to depth, and so that was you know a big step out vertically below those old workings, which only went down 150 meters. And yep. we had a big strong conductor that went for four or five hundred meters right underneath that. And uh, it looks like it's going to hang together. It's still there anyway. Like, we'll see what the average grade and continuity is. We drilled about seven holes under that target. So that's just one aspect of, you know, the upside at MACWA. The other three conductors were more tied to that open pit, the MACWA, where our current resources really sit underneath the old open pit. And those are adjacent or underneath that uh, pit shell. And again, you know, look, looks pretty interesting, but let's see what the assays say. You, you said it was an fractionated um, mm-hmm. um, magma- magmatic system. Can you see from the nitron? Can you see the whole rock geochemistry? Can you tell me which series, or, or is it just visual? Can you see what? what yeah, you when, can when, you, see. when you're into the, the zone. Yeah. So it's basically a, a sort of a dunite pertinite package at the bottom, the ultramafic basal sequence, and an overlying gabbro. Uh, an orthocytic gabbro sequence. So white rock, black rock, basically. Yeah. And then there are some peroxynetic units in there. There's some chromatite seams as well. In fact, the Bird River Sill was Canada's only chromite resource during the Second World War. So it, uh, it has a little bit of history on the chromite side of things too. Okay, thank you. I mean, we've, 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 we've covered a lot of ground there. I think, I think really on the, 
when it comes to Macromaville, it'll be a case of waiting for those 18 holes to come through and then seeing how you progress towards a, um, a new refreshed PEA and with the methodological right. test work and a, a rethinking there. The lithium, it sounds as if you've got uh, a really exciting program there. I mean, I do love my nickel, but it's also great to have the, the, um, the lithium. We haven't really got time to talk about Bannockburn and East, 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 East Bull. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, do you want to just mention them really briefly, just kind of talk about kind of at a high level what they are? Yeah, East Bull is, uh, again, a big layered complex, about 20 kilometers long. It sits in a fantastic location right on the same contact that the Sudbury Ignis complex sits on. Uh, it's older, um, so it's not the same magmatic event, but it's really similar in terms of the geology, geochemistry. And now from our two years of drilling, we think it has a significant mass of sulfide potential. So stay tuned, the investors that came in on the Palladium story. We have not lost uh, interest or uh, excitement about the project. We had to take some time, re- rethink the plan, rethink our model, and that's been done now. So we'll be communicating a, a longer-term plan on East Pole. Uh, Bannockburn, uh, it's really like the Crawford Nickel. So if you're interested mm-hmm. in seeing what we're up to there, you read about uh, Canada Nickel's Crawford Nickel uh, project. Uh, they're into the feasibility stage there. It's really low grade, but big tons um, and special mineralogy, hazelwoodite uh, dominant, uh, which is a really high tenor nickel sulfide mineral, secondary nickel sulfide. So we put out all our results uh, for the 2021 drilling we did on our, our bulk tonnage target there. So that's uh, something investors can look up. And, and uh, you know, we'll decide what we want to do with the project. We don't need to do anything right now. We've got lots of credits. We can hold the ground for a considerable amount of time. And it's, how similar is it to, um, to Crawford? Well, I mean, if you look at our press release, uh, the last one issued a few weeks ago, which summarized all of the drilling results that we did about eight holes in 2021. We're getting, you know, 100 to 300 meter long intersections at, you know, 0.25 to 0.3, sometimes up to 0.4 nickel and with sulfur. So we're doing sulfur analyses as well. So the the key is all about the metallurgy mineralogy. And uh, we think we've got the same rock types, geology, mineralogy, we just started a new round of uh, applied or quantitative mineralogy on the 2021 drill core. So mm-hmm. those results should be in hand in a couple of months. And that'll just uh, give people more confidence that this is recoverable. What percentage of that nickel is recoverable? Uh, and so that's the key to these projects is it's got to be, uh, you know, pentlandite or hazelwoodite. In our case, we're thinking and looking like it's going to be mostly hazelwoodite. And when you when you design a quantitative mineral mineralogical study, you take a bunch of representative samples and you send them off to is it to a university to get a chem scan and what, you know what, yeah, what, the, what, what kind of what kind of work do you get done? We, we are using SGS and they have uh, a new uh, set of technologies, um, but it's an instrument that's very much like the MLA or the QuemScan uh, SEM, um, but a little more sophisticated, I think, on the image analysis and the actual uh, mineralogical uh, calculations that it does and can do. So that's uh, something we're trying out, I guess, for the first time, but they've had success using this exactly with uh, you know, this, this type of deposit, this bulk nickel, secondary style nickel sulfide, hazelwood, you know, pentlandite dominant. So that's being done. Um, 
yeah, let's uh, let's see. Uh, we did have one study done 20 years ago, um, again, uh, and on this B zone, this bulk uh, nickel sulfide target, and it was very positive. It showed a potential of recovering, um, uh, oh, producing a 30% plus nickel con grade. So that's really the, the sweet spot in the market for these projects. Yeah, they're low grade. Yes, they're potentially big capex, but the um, long life mines, low cost, uh, very, uh, you know, sort of low strip ratio deposits because they're so wide. Um, so, the, yeah, we've got the same kind of indicators that Crawford has. Of course, they're much more advanced than what we have at Bannockburn. So that's, that's obviously the next step is a resource drill. Good stuff. Really interesting. I, I did a, um, I, I, asked, I got an expert to do a petrographic study. Um, mm. Oh, this is years ago now. I think it was kind of 15 or 16 years ago. And uh, he did a really good job. And all of the subsequent metallurgical test work just kind of confirmed what was um, uh, established in that initial good quality bit of work. And I know it wasn't um, the latest fancy machine and it was just a guy with a, um, a, a polished section and, a, and, a, yeah. and, a, and some thin sections. But, you know, when you get good petrographic work done, it can oh, really ha- sure. help guide your um, your thinking and your planning out your metallurgical test work further down the line. Yes. Um, Dave, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Can you, one last thing, I could you just run me by the names of the key guys in your team because you it was it larry and and ian um who were kind of on the technical side of the yeah. so yeah so carry if you if you've got any more so it's carry and if you've got any more in the team just could you mention them just kind of, kind of their, their core expertise that'd be really helpful yeah so carries uh, we mentioned him vp of exploration for lithium uh we've got ian ward uh basically a, a metallurgist by training but uh you know, ran Micron Engineering, so he's going to take our Macromable project through uh, the PEA and then the, the pre-feasibility. Um, we've got uh, Reed Keys, uh, for, foremost expert, in fact, my PhD supervisor from uh, the late 80s <laughs> when I was doing my PhD in Australia at Melbourne Uni. Uh, he's doing uh, technical consulting for nickel and PGE uh, projects world expert on both uh, magmatic sulfide, nickel, and uh, platinum metal deposits. And we've got uh, uh, Paul Stacey, a a sort of geomatics database expert out of Ottawa, who's providing that critical support on data management and modeling, 3D modeling and software related to that. Um, So those are kind of the key guys. We do have some other consultants that we bring in Brian Young, an uh, ex- experienced uh, underground mine engineer, I worked with at North American Palladium, has been helping us out at times. And then we're building a, a, a young team of geos in the sort of Winnipeg area to really uh, be boots on the ground, core logging uh, uh, for our Macromejo project. Um, and so those guys, uh, you'll hear about them, I guess, someday. Uh, but right now we've got them busy and uh, they don't have time to talk like I do. Um, and that's good. It's good. And it's, it's great for the, it's, it's a great environment for young geologists to be um, yeah. graduating or kind of um, early career. My son's actually just applying for, to study geology at university. Um, I get him to send his resume. <laughs> no, he's, 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 you know, he's applying <laughs> for four universities. He's, he's, he's got another three years. He'll be out the back end in three years' time. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, no it's, we it's, hire it's, summer it's, students as well. So good. 
Great. Thank you very much. I'm really impressed. I'm, I'm also impressed by, dare I say it, the quality of your um, marketing materials, the, the the website and the, uh, the, the presentation, very well packaged. Um, and I was also impressed that you put together a uh, kind of a data pack ahead of this this um, call. So thank you very much for your time and your um, the, the, all, everything you put into this. Thank you very much, Merlin. Uh, it's great to be with everyone today and uh, go grit. <laughs>